Come on. Welcome to Life Club. This is George G, and the time is right. Welcome to today's guest, the strong and powerful James Sykes. James, are you ready to do this? Let's do it, George. Let's let's go. James is the CEO and director of Baseload Energy. They are a fully funded uranium exploration company, an organization controlling 100% of the rights to surface exploration of the 72,000 hectares in the Athabasca Basin. James, tell us a little bit about your personal life, some more about your work, and why you do what you do. Thanks, George. I'm a hardcore geologist. That's what I do best, and that's what I love to do. Uh, I was fortunate enough to find what I wanted to do with my life when I was in university. Uh, it took a few years bouncing around, trying different things, biochemistry. Nah, didn't didn't like it. But geology kind of uh, it talked to me. It all fit well. So I followed up with that. I uh, pursued my career, and I've just I've loved every minute of it. So I do what I do because I really enjoy it. I am into uranium exploration because I'm a nuclear energy bull. I believe nuclear energy is a way forward uh, for for not just you know for not just now, but all of humanity down the road. It's been around since the 50s. It has been a constant baseload producer of energy. Uh, in, in all seriousness, it is probably one of the safest forms of energy, despite what a lot of people think when they you know when they think of Chernobyl and Three Mile Island, they they lose their hats. But that's not the case. Uranium nuclear energy, very safe form of energy. So I like to I like to contribute to our our energy sources going forward. Nice, I appreciate that. So a hardcore geologist. Are there certain uh, what is geology, James? The study of rocks. The study of rocks. Do you have a favorite rock? Is that a stupid question? No, actually, not really. I have a favorite mineral, but not a favorite rock, and it's, it's garnet. But yeah, anything with uranium in it, I love. Got it. And what has uranium in it? A uraninite, coffinite, uh, a number of different secondary minerals, covalite. There's a yeah, there's quite a few uranium bearing minerals. So talked about. I mentioned that you control 100 percent of the rights to surface surface exploration. Tell me more about what that means. Right. So surface exploration in Saskatchewan, anyway is you have the rights to it's actually to explore underneath the surface so you can explore anywhere from surface to to underground for you know x amount of kilometers which is as deep as you can pretty well drill and that's basically what the the government allows us to do now it doesn't give us the rights to do anything else like to build infrastructure or anything like that we would need other other rights and other permits to do that but to just do simple exploration, put some drill holes into the ground or run some geophysical surveys to see what's under the ground first, uh, to get people on, on bedrock if there is any, and just do some mapping or do some till sampling, that's what the surface rights allows us to do. Nice. Okay, when you say get people on bedrock if there is any, what is, what is the value there? You get to learn the geology straight off. Uh, like, what you see or what you can expect to see in underneath you. Uh, that's what bedrock allows you to do. It's just basically outcrop, so rocks right at surface. And it allows us to get an idea of the, st the stresses and the forces that were applied in the area, and then we can make inferences on uh, which direction we want to go. And just, it helps us build the, build the story of where we are. Because most times, especially in northern Canada, you're, you're stuck with, 
you're stuck with a lot of overburden. So when the glaciers came by and they deposited all the dirt and sand and boulders and everything, well, it obscures the, the bedrock below, so you can't see what's going on. And that's where diamond drilling comes in because you have to, you have to see the rock. You have to make discoveries, and discoveries, most of them are made with, with a diamond drill. But the cheapest way to figure out your geology and what's happening is to look at outcrops, if you have any. Got it. Okay, so your opportunity, your challenge is is looking at at, at this area, seventy two thousand hectares. How how big is that? We've actually got three projects, and we've got about two hundred thousand hectares. Okay. So it's yeah, we've got quite a large land package. How big is that? It's a very good question. Uh, roughly, that's roughly two hundred kilometers by a hundred kilometers. Okay, got it. So it's a big area. Very big area, absolutely. <laughs> and, Actually, no, you know what? I am I'm off on my numbers, I'm pretty sure. No, that doesn't make sense. <laughs> it's uh, still a big area. I know one of our properties measures about 40 kilometers by 30 kilometers. That's I just, our largest property. I just went with it, James. So probably people <laughs> are listening like, no way. But Yeah, uh, no. Okay, so you, you mentioned... Canada is stuck with overburden, so when the glaciers rolled across, they just dumped a bunch of stuff. So that's the overburden. That is not the bedrock, and it's your challenge and opportunity to find the bedrock to then determine where are we going to drill because I'm assuming that you just can't infinitely drill holes in because it's cost prohibitive. Absolutely correct. Yep. When you're assuming that it's you know, roughly between $300 to $400 per drill meter, like all in costs, that's, it's not very cheap. So if you want to, if you want to drill down to a hundred meters depth, you're looking at 30 grand, 40 grand per drill hole. So the costs do start to add up, but this, this is why we rely very heavily on geophysics. So airborne geophysics, ground geophysics surveys that will penetrate through that overburden and will reflect the, the, geophysical characteristics of the rocks and the minerals beneath the surface. So sometimes we're looking for gravity lows because uh, clay alteration in these hydrothermal systems that we're looking for will alter your rock. So when you turn, you know, most people have been on rocks and they know what rocks are and they perceive the idea of rocks as being very hard and not broken up. That is, you know, that's the best case scenario is that you, granite, everyone knows what a granite is, or at least should I hope. Sure. But it's, it's a really hard rock. And in certain situations, you have structures come through, faults that rip right through these rocks, break them apart. And sometimes these structures have fluids moving through, and then the fluids interact with the rocks and can actually turn them into clay. So if you can imagine you know, the natural processes, processes of the earth turning hard rocks into clay, well, that shows up in a geophysical survey because you've gone from now a higher-dense granite to a lower-dense clay so one's heavier than the other and that's some some geophysical surveys will pick up on that they will show you where the the dense rocks are and the light rocks are not necessarily saying that it has to be clay alteration but it's those are the type of uh, parameters and and features that we're looking for other other features that we get from geophysics looking at uh, electrical magnetical surveys just trying to pick up on certain minerals that will help us find these structures of interest and possible fluid flow pathways Fascinating. And I imagine that these technologies or um, ways to to perform geophysics are, are changing and have certainly changed through the course of your career. Absolutely. 
Absolutely. Yeah. I've, I've seen them evolve in the last 15 years, and it's quite impressive. I imagine. Like, one, one survey I really like to use is called MT. And when you consider geophysics, a lot of it is, especially EM geophysics, is you're pumping the signal into the Earth. Whereas MT, the signal source for an MT survey, <clears throat> excuse me, are electrical strikes on the Earth. So lightning, when lightning strikes the Earth, all of that energy is pushed along into certain layers of the Earth. And an MT survey will use those electrical strikes, the energy produced from those electrical strikes, to produce its uh, produce its visuals. So I'm probably going to use a really clumsy analogy or metaphor. Are you sort of akin to a radiologist? No. Nope. <laughs> <laughs> Not at all. Okay. So uh, and my thought was just like you're trying to look under the surface and then read the results. And, okay. Yep. That's that's actually a very fair analogy. Yes. Absolutely. Then. Okay. I, I go. I go back on that for sure. That's exactly what we're trying to do. Okay. Sorry, so, I've never had radiology work done. I was just pic picturing somebody just yep, clicking a button and and getting the scan of things. But yes. Yeah. Well, it's it's it, you know because you could you you could rip the scan off and and when you're looking at it, you're certainly looking at it in a different way than I would. And so it's your expertise in how you're interpreting this information versus I'm like I don't have no, any idea what 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 this is and i imagine that that is a competitive advantage you have to others yep absolutely okay nice so how did you come to decide on the the athabasca basin it's high grade athabasca basin is the world's highest grade uranium capital it's phenomenal even even when you start looking at other commodities in the world you don't you don't find these jurisdictions where you can constantly get 1% to 10% to 25% copper or nickel or anything like that but no you get that in the Athabasca basin the two largest mines in the Athabasca basin have over 20% U308 grades that's just that's mind blowing you're looking at you're looking at some of the most valuable rock in the entire world in those mines and that's, again, that's kind of typical for the Athabasca, not necessarily the 20 percenters, but at least over 1% is a very common grade. And that's, that's what really drives, drives exploration in the area, is when you have these high-grade occurrences, you, the value of your rocks are extremely high. You're, because it is a higher grade as well, your operating costs should theoretically be lower because you'd be mining less of a product than or less material than other jurisdictions. So in comparison, you have operations in Africa which are mining anywhere from 0 0.01 to, let's say, 0.1%. So orders of magnitude lower than what we commonly have in the Athabasca Basin. So advantages and advantages and disadvantages of of me trying to uh to develop a mine in canada versus africa better rocks mm. in canada probably more infrastructure um y'all are very accustomed to mining but i imagine that it's tough because you can only mine for two weeks a year because the rest of the year it's snowing <laughs> it's not that bad no canada's not that bad at all uh to tell you the truth, I wouldn't see there being too many differences. I honestly haven't looked at at Africa in, in a mining jurisdiction uh, perspective and trying to find the ins and outs of, of operating costs and 
and, and things like that, which, you know, I, I do know that both have their own regulations in place. Uh, Canada has very strict regulations, uh, which, you know, when done right, everything, everything leads to a nice economic operation and uh, environmentally friendly, uh, good social governments. We have a lot of that going for us, but that's not to say Africa doesn't as well, because I know there are a lot of African operations that all follow the same suit. Uh, there are definitely a lot of uh, a lot of similarities between the two. The big thing for us, because we're in the uranium space, is that we have to worry about uh, nuclear radioisotopes, and that's that's what differentiates us from any other mining operation. It doesn't matter which which jurisdiction in the world, because we're all monitored by uh, by larger uh, larger organizations such as IAEA, um, International Atomic Energy Association, who have mandates and, and just kind of protocols in place for uh, uranium mining that, that companies are expected to follow. Which certainly makes sense. Absolutely. Which certainly makes sense. So what what is is your desire expectation for when you're doing this exploration what what are we hoping we're is 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 is, is going to happen we're hoping to make a discovery we're hoping that our drill holes will be successful and that we will intersect some high grade uranium myself i've been involved with at least 3 different uh, projects that's directly and indirectly i've got over 550 million pounds of uranium credit to my name so i'm looking to expand on that my personal goal is to reach a billion pounds of discovery so i want to really push that envelope so when we are drilling when we are exploring that is exactly what we're looking for we are looking to make a uranium discovery something because our exploration strategy differs from a lot of our peers we're looking for things outside of the conventional sense but things that would be even more economic than than what people are trying to look for, uh, things where you'd be mining uh, to depths of less than 200 meters from surface, so it's an open pit. That's that's our goal. Where our goal is is to find something with the lowest footprint and also the lowest operating costs. We want to make we want to not just make a discovery for our investors that they would benefit from that alone, but we want to make a discovery that an, that our investors and the world will see would be a deposit that would go into production in a near term so that everyone benefits in the long run. Nice. I appreciate that. So the reality that nuclear energy is, is one of the cleanest and most efficient, even though people are confused because of a handful of events that have happened over the last 50 years or so uh, that combined with your expertise and your track record of 550 million pounds looking to, to, to essentially double that and to do it in the most cost-effective, efficient way possible. Okay, great. So how do people, how do people uh, either invest with you or how, how, does, how does that process work? Yeah, it's pretty straightforward. Uh, most of the times, people can invest in us through the open market. Yeah, on the TSXV here in Canada, our stock symbol is FIND, F-I-N-D. In the States, on the OTCQB, we're under B-S-E-N-F. So if any investors are interested in the uranium spot in, in the uranium marketplace as it is, which has been taking off, uh, i got to say uranium is probably up at least 30% uh, 
30, 40% in the past two weeks. So it's uh, it's definitely a riveting market right now and people are people are making money hand over fist. But it, uh, the best way to get in is through the open market. Do your own due diligence first. Check out our website. Uh, we've got a lot of material on there that you can review. We've got videos on YouTube, which I do a little bit more technical talks, but I try to dummy it down for the non-geologists so that they can understand uh, what I'm seeing and where I'm coming from and, and how Baseload likes to, uh, likes to explore. But then also you can follow us on uh, LinkedIn. We've got our page there, Twitter. Those are definitely the main ways. My email is always open and available to to respond to any questions. Excellent. As as it's been in the ether and and and, and the news that um, rare earth minerals or conflict minerals, I figure what the term is, and there's a concern that that China controls a lot of them. How 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 does what you're doing play into that, if 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 at all? There. They can be kind of similar. Uh, the rare earth minerals are typically uh, just, you know, almost like a sister stream of minerals to what we're doing. Uh, however, uranium has been noted by the U.S. as being a critical mineral, mineral, just because there's not a lot of production coming out of the U.S. side from their own uranium mines. And so a lot of that has been coming from Canada and Kazakhstan. Whereas rare earth minerals, yeah, rare earth minerals are definitely controlled by China. Uh, states have done a great job of finding some uh, some at-home supply, basically, and have been progressing that forward. So that's absolutely wonderful. But basically, the two are not entirely the same. Although they are, they're both trying to achieve the same long-term goal or the same end goal. And that rare earth minerals are being used primarily for new energy sources, renewable energy sources, but also electric vehicles, which should help this whole uh, the whole battle against climate change so there is that synergy between the two but if we all keep going electrical vehicles that means we're going to be drawing more heavily on the baseload power front and if we do that well geez there's no better baseload power source out there than nuclear energy which is where i do think these go hand in hand again yeah all roads lead back i like it yes they do yep well, James, thank you so much for coming on. Give us the website again, if you haven't already. I have not, but the website is www.baseload.com. Baseload is spelled B-A-S-E-L-O-D-E, as in a load of ore. Excellent. Well, if you enjoyed this much as I did, show James your appreciation and share today's show with a friend who also appreciates good ideas, go to baseload.com. It's B-A-S-E-L-O-D-E.com. You can find... Uh, baseload on the Toronto Stock Exchange under Find and the over-the-counter at B-S-E-N-F. And check out Baseload, send James an email, check out the, the YouTube where he talks about incredibly complex, confusing things in easy-to-understand uh, ways. <laughs> Thanks again, James. Thanks a lot, George. Take care. And until next time, keep fighting the good fight as we are all in this together.